a few years ago, there was a poster that um, became very popular very quickly. It caught fire, it went viral, uh, and uh, many people uh, loved seeing it. Uh, it became appropriated by many different products and companies, and um, it just showed up everywhere. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, it looks something like this. Keep calm and carry on, yes? Uh, you can nod knowingly, yes, yes, maybe you've seen that. Um, it just sprung up like wildfire, hit the internet, and was all over. And uh, since it came out, it started in the UK, and, uh, and since it came out, different people like just really love the theme, keep calm and carry on. They got excited, began to use it for just about anything. Here, I'm going to show you some of my favorites. Uh, this one I like. Keep calm and sparkle. I like that one. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you've seen this one. Um, let me fast forward here. Maybe you've seen this one. Keep calm and eat chocolate. Anybody? Yes. All right. Good, good. We got some, some chocolate lovers here. Keep calm and eat chocolate. <clears throat> I like this one. This is for you, Ellen. Yes. Use the four. I was doing it at the beginning of the service that you said. And for the little girls in the congregation. It says, we're going to Disney. And then, of course, uh, this is uh, my personal favorite. Uh, it's keep Where's my phone? What? Where's my phone? Um, everybody's using it now these days. Uh, but it started out like this. Uh, keep calm and carry on. Maybe you know about it. Maybe you've seen it. It turns out it was designed, this particular poster was designed in 1939 by one of the uh, ministries of the government in, in, uh, in England. So during the time of war in 1939, uh, the, the, uh, the British government was afraid that an imminent attack was going to create devastation in the land. And to help everyone and to boost morale, they came up with uh, three posters. This is just one of three. And their idea was after an attack would take place, after maybe a bombing or something like that, that the next day or as soon as they could, they would put these posters up to boost morale, to, uh, to encourage everyone. But as it turns out, uh, after they designed it and they showed it around, um, people didn't like it. Uh, they thought um, it was insensitive. And so they had made uh, lots and lots of copies and they just basically shredded everything. Except for a few that got put in storage box somewhere. And in the year 2010, 2011, a bookstore owner who had bought a box of used books began to look through it and came upon an original poster. Keep calm and carry on. Liked it so much that he put it on this bookstore wall. And as uh, people would come by to, to buy books, they just loved it, began to take pictures of it. And in a short amount of time, it just became, like I said, viral and went on the internet and appropriated by everyone. And uh, people love it. Uh, the, the crown is supposed to represent a Tudor crown, which is a time of great prosperity in England. And um, the design, according to Wikipedia, was... Uh, created to strengthen morale, but eventually became known as a sign of British stoicism, how the Brits like to keep a stiff upper lip. Um, you know, we, they'll handle anything. So this became sort of a symbol that, that Brits can handle anything, but it was designed, like I said, by the government in 1939. Now I'm fascinated by it. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure maybe you've had it, you have a mug or something like that. Uh, but it turns out to me, and I found this fascinating, that in the, in the year 2012, somebody tried to trademark Got the design and the words, uh, and they went through a lot of trouble to try to trademark it both in the UK and the US. But I think it should have been trademarked by the original, the originator, the one and only your God. 
And I'm going to prove it to you. Because <laughs> your God is the one who came up with it. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. I believe God should have put a trademark on it right there. So, so then he could have got all the royalties. But I want you to look it up with me. I'm going to prove it to you. God is the originator of the keep calm and carry on. You ready? Isaiah, chapter 7. We're in the Old Testament today. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. It is critical today that you open the Word of God. Um, if you have it on your phone, okay. But if I see you smiling when I didn't tell a joke, that means you're on Instagram. So cut it out. All right? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at you. Okay, good. So um, the rest of you guys, <laughs> open up your Bibles. I love, uh, I love the Bible on my phone, but I like it in my hands. I like it tactile. The Word of God. There's something about holding the book in my hands. So we're in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading with verse 3. Okay, follow along with me. If you're in Isaiah chapter 7, say amen. amen. Okay, good. Let's get to it. This is what the Word of God says. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. <clears throat> and then the Lord said to Isaiah, quote, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jasub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the washerman's field, and say to him, you ready? Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. See it? It's right there. No, it doesn't have that Tudor crown. It has a much better crown. The Lord, your God, said, keep calm and don't be afraid. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Now, obviously, you're familiar with the phrase, so it didn't, it didn't really uh, startle you very much. But I want you to know that, uh, that when God uttered these words, when he told them to the prophet and to the king... It was for a reason, a very significant reason that I think, that I think might make sense to us today. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backdrop here. We're just going to go right to it real quick because it's already noon. And we've got to go to Kabir National Monument, so we're going to get right to it, right? So if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, I'm going to break some things down for you. Uh, and if you are familiar, just nod knowingly like, yeah, I knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew that. Okay, so you can do that. That's cool. Um, the Old Testament is made up of different kinds of different sections. A good portion of the Old Testament is basically a, a log, a log of God's activity with humankind. History books, if you will, where authors record what God does and how he interacts. But then other portions of the Old Testament are messages that God sends through his prophets, his messengers. So in the Old Testament, we have at the, near the beginning books like 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st uh, and 2nd Chronicles, which are essentially record books of God's dealings with God's people. But a little bit later, we have things like the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, Amos, Joel, uh, Jonah, the prophets. And these are messages that God is giving through God's people. But oftentimes, these two things ha are happening at the same time. You following with me? Say, yes, I knew that. On the Bible, you think it's like chron chronographically, but it isn't. You think, oh, this was 1 Kings, and now this is Isaiah. But they're happening at the same time. So what we're reading today actually corresponds with what is happening in 2 Kings chapter 16. And you're like, yep, I knew that, right? I knew that. Mm -hmm. And so what we have right now is we're encountering a period in the history of God's people that not many people are familiar with. So it's okay. Don't be startled. But did you know... That the people of Israel, by the time we're reading what we're reading, are no longer one people, but they are two. There was a kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And when the Bible speaks about the people of God, initially it meant everyone. But by the time we're reading it here, they are two people. Kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah. Yes? Hmm. Not knowingly. Yeah, I knew that. Not, it's okay. It's fine. 
See, what happened here, and I'm just going to break it down to you really fast. What happened here is that when God called for himself a people, he spoke at first to Abraham. You remember? Abraham? Father Abraham? It says, and I'm going to bless the world through you, and you will have many descendants like the stars in the sky, like the sands of the sea. And I will take you to a land that I will show you. You remember that because we studied it here. But then, but then Abraham had descendants, and eventually that descendancy led to Jacob. And God spoke to Jacob, and God said, no, you will no longer be called Jacob. Your new name will be? Thank you. Israel. Your new name will be Israel, and I will make a nation out of you, out of your children. And so Jacob has how many kids? 13, but okay. 12, 12. And these kids become the tribes of Israel. You following me? Yes. The tribes of Israel. And there's 12 tribes. Say yes. I knew that, right? 12 tribes. Like, anybody want to name them? No, no, no. You don't want to name them. But you know a few of them. You know the tribe of Dan? Did you know there was a tribe of Dan? A tribe of Asher? What? Yeah. What? That's right. A tribe of Asher. There's a tribe of Asher. A tribe of Issachar. There's a tribe of Judah. That one would be familiar. There's the 12 tribes. And did you know that when God created them, obviously, they were brothers, right? They were brothers. And when they went to live in the land of Egypt and began to grow as a people, they were basically brothers, cousins, all related. And they grew under Egyptian, Egyptian captivity. Because you've seen the movie, right? Prince of Egypt. Everybody's seen the movie. It's say, amen. Just go, amen. I see the priest of Egypt. Uh, that's right. And in the priest of Egypt, and I, also known as the Bible, the, what we learn is that the people of God, this nation grew up 12 tribes until they were numerous in the hundreds of thousands, but they were all one people. They were all one people. And so God raised up a deliverer. We call him the prince of Egypt. We call him Moses, who God sent to Egypt to deliver his people from Egyptian oppression. Yes? You follow me, right? And so when they left, you remember this because we studied this in Deuteronomy. We spent like, it felt like a year to Layla anyway. It felt like a year we were in the book of Deuteronomy. And we studied that God called the people out of Israel and he led them out of, I mean, out of Egypt across the Red Sea, you remember? And he said, I'm going to give you a promised land. And so when they left Egypt, they were but one people. They were called Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. So much of what we have initially in, his, in, in, in the recorded data in history is that God is dealing with the tribes as one people. When they're traversing through the land, in time, in time, they begin to settle. And when they settle, they become a kingdom as God had promised. And when they finally have a king, his first name, his name is, first king, anyone? Saul, because he was head and shoulders above the rest. King Saul, one king, one people. And after Saul, there came another king. We call him? David. We call him King David. King David, that's right. And David was well known and very famous, and he led the people, but he was from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah. And, and here's what happened. After David came his son, the wisest man, Solomon. And Solomon reigned and the kingdom prospered. But after Solomon, guess what happened? As the kingdom prospered, some of them didn't like the current government. Amen? Anyone? No one. Okay. Some of them didn't like the current government, and they decided that it would be better for them to secede from the union. Amen? Anyone? No one? Okay. All right. So there was the tribes that were of the north. 
and the tribes that were of the south. And Judah was in the south. And after the kingdom grew, the tribes of the north decided that they would be better off on their own. So they broke off from the tribe of Judah and the king of the line of Judah. And they became a people unto themselves. The Bible calls him Ephraim. And now in the book that we're about to read, they're referred to as the kingdom of Israel. It's going to get confusing because when you read it, you're thinking they're all the same people. But you'll hear it in a second. There's a kingdom of Israel and a kingdom of Judah. You get it? Yes? So there's two people, although they're all one. The kingdoms of the north, called Ephraim or Israel, and the kingdom of the south, which is Judah. I want you to just capture for a second because these are, these are people that, that are their cousins, they're, but they turned on one another, kind of like a civil war, something that we're familiar with. See, territory is always important for people, and based on where you live and where you're, where you're from, your territory, you begin to form an identity, right? I mean, you know about that. If you're from, if you're from here, you're very different in Southern California than those from Northern California, right? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we got some transplants in here. <laughs> yeah. Northern California has come down here like, well, what is this strange land? What is happening here? Uh, why is it so hot in February? What's going on? And when we go up to Northern California, we don't understand the way they talk. If you never lived up there, never visited, it's like they have a whole different language. Uh, I'm not want to get into it. But my point is, your territory defines sort of part of your culture. And by the time the people of Israel begin to settle in what we know as the promised land, they begin to develop their own identity based on their region. And then they decide, you know what? You know what? We don't really need to be united. And the kingdoms of the north, or the kingdom of Israel, begins to break off and they elect for themselves their own king. And they began to create associations with other people, neighboring peoples, to make war against the southern kingdom. So if you read Second, First, and Second Kings, you will find this conflict between God's own people. Can you imagine that? Like that there would be fight amongst God's own people? Doesn't that just seem really strange? Like that would never happen here, right? Like there would never be this side of the room fighting against this side of the room. That would just like never happen. But in the Bible it happens. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom begin to be at war. And what we find here in the story is that by the time Ahaz is the king, there is conflict that is breaking out into open war. If you know anything about King Ahaz, you'll know that uh, his father was a good king, but, but, but Ahaz began to rule at 20 years old. Now, some of you guys that are in your 20s, you think that's a, that's a good age to rule because you know everything already, right? But the rest of us remember being 20 year old and we were like... <laughs> I didn't know where my belly button was at 20. And, um, but King Ahaz was thrust into the limelight, into the spotlight at 20. He had had some good examples, but what we read there in, in 2 Kings is that Ahaz began to not necessarily trust in the Lord, the God of Judah. And in this moment, as we're about to read this, what we find him is he is under siege. See, the kingdom of the north, Ephraim, Israel, had gotten allegiance with the kings of Syria. And, and they said, look, if you guys join us, we're going to go down there and we're going to invade Jerusalem and we're going to wipe them out and we can divide the spoils. We can forever get rid of the kingdom of Judah. What you may not know is that when these two kingdoms broke apart, God the Father was continually trying to reunite them. And he would send prophet after prophet, and each of the prophets that we have here in the Old Testament is for one kingdom of the other. 
And God would send prophet after prophet to say, come back to me. Come back to me. You are all sons and daughters. Come back to me. But the kingdom of Ephraim kept continually walking away further and further from God. And there comes a point in time in the story when God says Ephraim is joined to his idols because he began to join up with other nations and people and to do things the way other people did it rather than trusting God. Now, you may not know what that's like. Or maybe you do. Maybe you also grew up knowing and fearing God, but as you've gotten older, you've gotten comfortable with doing things the way the world does it. Ephraim knew about God. They still sacrificed. They did offerings, but they also let other things seep in. Worst of all, though, they made allegiances with the very people God had said he was driving out of Canaan. So God's intention in Deuteronomy does, was that the people of God would be his, his, uh, extra, uh, his, um, his weapon of judgment towards those people, and God would drive them out. But the people of Ephraim said, no, 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 you guys join forces with us so we can fight and gain greater territory. And so what we have right here is that King Ahaz has gotten word that the king of, of Israel has joined up with the king of Syria, and they're coming down, and they're going to siege the city. And Ahaz, being young and inexperienced, begins to think, how am I going to protect myself from this situation? How am I going to defend myself from these attacks? And what we find right here, what I'm about to read to you, is that King Ahaz has gone to the aqueduct pool because he's afraid that the enemy is going to come down and going to cut off his water supply to the city. So he's gone to figure out a way, how am I going to survive when they come and attack me? You follow me so far? Okay, so, so God comes and he speaks to Isaiah and he says, go and meet him there where he's trying to make a plan for how to deal with the circumstances and remind him to keep calm, to keep calm and not be afraid. Remind him that although he is the king of Judah, I am the Lord of Judah. So Isaiah goes, look. And God said to Isaiah, go, take your son, meet him at the aqueduct, and tell him, be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid. Follow along with me. Do not lose heart because of what you're facing. These two smoldering uh, stubs of fire would represent the king of Ephraim and the king of Assyria, if you read it later. They are on their way. God says, do not be afraid of them. They have said to themselves, let's invade Judah, let's tear it apart, let's divide it amongst ourselves. But this is what God, the sovereign Lord says, it will not happen. God comes to Ahaz and he says, I know you're afraid, these guys are barreling down, but I want to remind you that it will not happen. Why? Because I have made a covenant with your father and your father's father. And I promise them that your nation will increase and bless the world. And I promise them that out of your lineage, a Messiah would be born long ago. So it will not happen. They said to themselves, we're going to tear them apart, but it will not happen. So remind Ahaz that I'm still in charge. Now, on the one hand, you're thinking, okay, pastor, what does that got to do with me? Well, here's what I think. I think you need some reminding today. I think some of us need to be reminded of who the Lord, the sovereign one is. Because I think like Ahaz, some of us 
are at the aqueduct, trying to protect our city, trying to guard ourselves against what we think is happening, trying to figure out a way to get through this situation, whatever it may be. I don't know what yours is, but I have a suspicion. For some of you guys, it's a difficult relationship. Something's not right, something's wrong, and you're trying to figure out a way to get through it. For some of you guys, it might be financial or educational. You're like, I don't know what to do. I'm not quite sure. I got to find a way. And God says, be calm. Don't be afraid. Remember that I have made you a promise. Remember. Keep calm. God continues to speak and he says, you're worried about this. You're worried about that. Right, friends? You're worried about what's going to happen. What, is gonna, uh, what am I going to do? What's going to happen when the money runs out? What's going to happen if I don't get this grade? What's going to happen if I don't get this job? What's going to happen if she leaves me? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm not sure. I got to find a way. That's what Ahaz was doing. And God says, no, no, no. Keep calm. Listen, God says, it will not happen. It will not take place. He says, for those that are coming to get you, for those that are coming to get you, the head is Ephraim, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is, is Remaliah's son, the, um, the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resident. He says, these are just men. These are just two men that are coming to get you. But if you don't stand firm against them, you will fall too. You will not stand at all. God comes to Ahaz and he says, look, all you got to do is stand your ground and trust me. All you got to do is stand your ground and trust me. But Ahaz, he's not so sure God's going to come through this time. You understand what that feels like? I'm pretty sure you do. God says to Ahaz, it will not take place. But you can either be part of the story of triumph or you can be part of the story of failure. It's really up to you. And God speaks again. He says, again, the Lord, follow along with me, verse 10, chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and he says, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it is in the deepest depths or the highest heights. God says, Ahaz, I see you're having trouble. Ask me for a sign and I will show you. I will, I will give you a sign so you can have confidence that I'm still in control. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Have you ever asked God for a sign? Well, it's biblical. Gideon did, remember? Gideon said, uh, water all around, but keep it dry. And then God did that. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. I meant uh, uh, dry it all around, but keep it wet. You remember? Ask God for a sign. Be careful if you ask God for a sign, by the way. Especially because we normally ask for signs when we don't want to do what we already know he wants us to do. Right? You're like, I'm not quite sure I heard that. I need a sign. And God is seeing Ahaz, but he's fighting for Ahaz's heart. And he says, Ahaz, ask me for a sign. Ask me for anything in the deepest depths or the highest heights. Can you imagine that? What if God came to you and says, you know what I want you to do, but I, I know you're having trouble. Ask me for anything and I will prove it to you. Would you ask him? Would you ask him? Notice his response. I was blown away by this. God says, ask me for anything. Highest heights, deepest steps. But Ahaz turned and he said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. At first glance, that sounds like the right thing to say. It really does. In fact, it sounds right because he's actually quoting an older scripture. See, Ahaz is no fool. He grew up in church. He went to Sabbath school. Ahaz learned his memory verses. He got his stars. Y'all remember? 
We don't do that anymore, but he got his stars. The kids are like, what stars? I ain't got no stars today. Where's the stars? But he got his stars. He went up on the 13th Sabbath. Y'all remember that? 13th Sabbath, and he recited his thing. He knew all the stuff. He was a very good Seventh-day Adventist church member. He knew what to say. So when, when he spoke here, ask the Lord for, oh, I will never test the Lord. He's actually quoting scripture. It's the same scripture that Jesus quotes later. But the difference is in his heart. See, friends, here's what I want you to know. You can fool me, and we can fool each other. But God knows your heart, and there ain't no fooling him. Ahaz says, I will not test the Lord. I will not put him to the test. But what his heart was saying was, there's no sign that's going to change my mind. Because in 2 Kings chapter 16, here's what Ahaz did. When God said, trust me, be calm. I will guard you. I will protect you. I've done it before. See, Ahaz had history books full of stories, just like you and I do, of how God had led in the past. Remember, he brought him out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. There were plagues. The angel of death passed, but spared them. God rained manna from heaven, water up out of the ground. He had story after story after story. Even his own father and his father before him had stories of God's faithfulness. But in the moment at the aqueduct, Ahaz is like, but I don't know, I don't think you can do it this time. Isn't that just like us? Like you know God was good to you last year. You know that. He, gave, he got you through some situations, but now it's February and you're like, but I don't know if you can do it this time, God. So I'm going to come up with a better plan. I know you say you promise that you have a blessing over my life. I know, but, but I know you said that if I trust you with my, with my money and with my finances, but, but, but I think I need to come up with a better plan. And Ahaz said, thanks, but no thanks. And in 2 Kings, the Bible tells us that rather than trust God, the Almighty, the Creator, the one who formed you as a people, he goes to the king of Assyria. And he writes a letter to the king of Assyria, and he says, Lord, king of Assyria, I am your humble servant. Please come and save me from these northern brothers who are coming to attack me. Can you believe that? And then he has the audacity to come into the temple of God and take the silver and gold that had been forged to honor God. And he bundles all this stuff up. And from the treasuries of God, from the bank of the church, from the church funds, he takes all that money and he offers it to the king of Assyria as an offering to appease him. Doesn't that just seem wrong? No one? No one is offended by that? You should be. You should be. And you should be more offended by the fact that you and I are doing the same thing. Because when God says, stand firm, I will help you, we take the things that God has blessed us, the things that we're supposed to give to God, and we offer that up to our better plan. We take these bodies that God said is my temple, and we offer them up to somebody else. We take our finances that God has said, it all belongs to me, but I'm trusting. You're like, okay, God, thanks, but I'm going to do what I think is best. I'm going to invest it in this. We, think, we take our time, every moment that God has given us by his breath, and we say, but I don't have time for you, God. I'm going to use it to do something really useful, something that will make me important. We take the things that were meant to be offered to God, and we use them for other plans. 
Ahaz does, does it blatantly. God comes to him at the aqueduct. I will save you. And he says, no thanks. I have the king of Assyria. Friends, are you doing that today? Having the king of the universe at your side, are you instead trusting somebody else, some other plan, somebody else's idea? Ahaz says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to put my trust in the king of Assyria. And when he offers this, oh, I will not put the God to the test. That was the last straw. Isaiah is now livid. He's so upset. Look, next verse. Then Isaiah said, Here now, house of David, isn't it enough for you to try the patience of man? Are you also going to try the patience of God? Therefore God himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Ahaz didn't ask for a sign, but God said, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. So that when it happens, while you're running to your friend Assyria, and you see this happens, you will know that I'm still in charge. You're just going to get cut out of the story. Oh, that friends, it wouldn't happen to us. That God wouldn't say, okay, that's what you want. I'll let you go. But he will, because the one thing God will not do is overrun your choice. The one thing God will not do is overrun your decision. He respects you that much. He will not go against your choice. And God says a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. You remember that? You know that? We talked about that last month, <laughs> Christmas season. It's from right here. This is where it is. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you, you, you'll find that what's happening here is Isaiah is prophesying that as soon as the baby is born, in a short amount of time, these two kingdoms that are coming down are going to be destroyed. And in fact, that's what happens. See, the king of Assyria does come to help Ahaz. And he wipes out the northern kingdoms, but then he also wipes out Ahaz. See, you ask for help from, from, from the world. You, you think getting into this relationship with this person, that's really going to help you? Yeah, it's going to help you now, and it's going to take you over. You think giving your money to this thing is better than trusting the church with it? Yeah, you do that, but eventually you'll see that's going to take you nowhere but ruin. I'm telling you, God says. God says, if you trust anyone else but me, you will eventually be disappointed. But those, this is Isaiah, those who put their trust in the Lord shall never be disappointed. God is pleading with Ahaz here. He's pleading with Ahaz, but Ahaz will have none of it. His heart is hard. He is unwilling to listen. God says, don't be afraid. I will be with you. Stand firm. Ask me. I will bless you. But Ahaz says, no thanks. No thanks. With a feigned piety, he says, God, I'll just keep pretending to, to love you and follow you. I'll just keep showing up to church and doing the things so everyone else can think. But in my heart, I'm looking out for other allegiances. In my heart, I've got better plans. I've got other things. And God moves on from Ahaz. And God says, that's fine, but I still will give you a sign. Give you, and that you is plural, to the entire house of David, to you and me, the descendants, the recipients of the promise. And the virgin shall be with child, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Ahaz mocks God with his, with his religious language, but God returns instead and speaks from the truest sense of his heart. And he says, even if you reject me, I'm going to go and be with you. Be with you. The prophet Isaiah is livid here. The prophet Isaiah is so upset 
He doesn't know what to do, but God begins to speak to him. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 8, God begins to speak to Isaiah, and he says, don't worry, Isaiah. Don't worry, Isaiah. This kingdom will be laid to waste, but I will reserve for myself a small remnant. A small remnant. That's where we get our identity. God says a lot of people are chasing after different things, but I'm going to reserve for myself a, a, a small group of people that will not give in to this temptation to join forces with the world outside of my provision. See, God provides and he protects. And when you look outside of God, you're, you're going to be overpromised and underdelivered. And there's this fascinating phrase in here that I, that I love. Isaiah speaks up and God then turns to him and he, and he says, Isaiah, you instead be the, be, be, be the, uh, the vessel of my message. God says, remember, don't be afraid of men, these two steps, but, but fear God and fear him only. And God will be for you a sanctuary, he says. Bind up this testimony, seal it up. And you know what Isaiah responds? I love this phrase I want to share with you. It's from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 10. And Isaiah says, okay, God, here am I and the children the Lord has given me. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. That phrase is one of the most powerful phrases for me in this season of my life. Because the one thing, friends, the one thing I dream for us as a church family is that we would stand before the Lord God with our children. Here am I and the children that the Lord has given me. Here am I and the ones you entrusted to me. But it takes two things. It takes our willingness to demonstrate for them. Here am I. We cannot ask them to do what we would be unwilling to do. We cannot say, trust the Lord your God with your finances if you're unwilling to do it. Here am I and the children the Lord has given to me. Isaiah speaks up and he says, I will carry the message. I will carry your deliverance. And God begins to unravel for him because he has seen it in a vision and now begins to unravel for him the future. And God reveals to him that this virgin shall be with child. God reveals to him that this Messiah, long promised to the tribe of Judah, will eventually come. And notice what happens here in chapter 9. I'm going to read quickly. You follow along with me. Then he begins to speak. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He's talking about the future and he says, and you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. In the moment they're in trials, but he's already prophesying God's redemption in the future. And he says this, and you, and, and they will rejoice in you and they will rejoice at the harvest. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens, the, the bar across the shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, and every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fueled for wire. Why? Because for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. These are not God's words, but Isaiah's words. These are Isaiah's words at finally understanding that the promises of God will always come true. Somebody needs to say amen to that because you have been given a promise. God has spoken it over you and your children. And even though you've been uncertain that he can do it, God will complete his word. That's what he does. And so now Isaiah begins to speak in full glory. For unto us a child is born, as in past tense, because he's so certain that it's going to happen long before it happens. See, that's what happens when we give God the credit before it happens. That means he gets the credit, right? He gets the credit. For unto us a son is given. I love that phrase. 
I love that phrase. I, as a kid in high school, last night, I, my, my family and I were at a music concert where there was a, a choir performance, and I, sim, I listened to them singing, and I remember being a, a kid in high school and singing in a choir, and, and my teacher taught us this song. Have you ever, have you ever heard it? For unto us, it's from Handel's Messiah. For unto us, a child is born. And you do all this bouncing it up and down. I love it. I didn't know what it was. But it comes from Isaiah. And it's this great song of proclamation that unto us, God has given his son. Unto us. Unto us. That's how much God loves us. In the middle of the, of the confusion, under attack, we have to be certain and we must claim that unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. This is in the song. Beat. Wonderful. <laughs> Beat. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Five names in the Hebrew narrative. Five names. Wonderful. You want to know why? You want to know why? You know what that means in the Hebrew narrative? It means that he, is, he, is, he does miracles. He is unexplainable. He is undefinable. He is wonderful. He can do things no one else can. Is that the God you believe in today? Is that the God you need to believe in today? Unto us. A child is born. Wonderful counselor. He will be our guide. He will take you. If you're in the moment of decision right now, listen, if you're in the moment of indecision or confusion, you can trust that the child will lead you. He will be your guide. Mighty God. That means he is a conquering God. Is there something that you need victory over today? Unto us, a son has been given, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Notice what he says, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of this government, there will be no end. See, the intention was that as Jesus comes to earth, he changes everything. He changes everything, and his government and his kingdom continues to grow, even unto this day, this Sabbath day, February 3, 2018. The promise of God is that he has sent us his son, unto us, unto us, unto you and me. We do not deserve it, but he has, because he is going to be true to his word, unto us. Paul says in the New Testament, reflecting on these themes, Paul says, there is a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of our Father. Unto us, a son is given. <laughs> See, when the baby is born, it changes everything. I'm just telling you, I believe in a God of miracles. Anybody else with me? I'm telling you, and I told you I would have proof. I don't have him physically, but I held him this week. His name is Josiah. And he was born to my friend David and Ann. They had a baby a little over a week ago, and uh, um, he's beautiful. And I'm telling you, it's a miracle because we prayed for that baby <laughs> for over a decade. And some of us were convinced that he might never live, and yet he lives and when the baby comes, he changes everything. Right? Moms and dads, changes everything. Something new is born inside of us. We call it hope. We call it dreams. We call it anticipation. And the baby changes everything. I'm super excited. I, 
I, I held little Josiah this week. He's cute. He's only five pounds, seven ounces. Little beautiful. I'm, I'm stealing their thunder. They can't be here in church today because he's so small. But I'm telling you, it's such a promise to hold him because it means that God has the power to do things you and I never thought would be possible. Come on, somebody say amen. Some of y'all friends know what I'm talking about. We said this is never going to happen, but it has happened because we believe in a God of miracles. Amen? Do you need a miracle today? I believe in a God who can give you what you need. I believe in a God who can help you conquer what you're facing. I believe in a God who can give you peace in the middle of the storm. I believe in a God who rose his son from the dead because he sent them to us. Not just in the past, but today, here in the present. Do you need him? Here he is. The child has been given to us, to you and to me. And all we've got to do is keep calm. Do not be afraid. Keep calm. Jesus says, keep calm. Trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. For unto us a son is given. Jesus changes everything. And I'm going to proclaim it for myself. And I'm going to invite you to do the same. I don't have to be afraid anymore. Because I am not alone. For unto us, a son has been given. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm not scared anymore. I'm done worrying about what might or what if. I'm done worrying about whether you're going to like it or not. I don't have to be afraid. Because I'm not alone. God sent his son unto us. And all I got to do is receive him. Do you want to receive him today? Do you want to receive Jesus today? Do you want to let him be the hand that holds you tight in this season, in this storm? Do you want to let him be the one who calms the seas and calls the winds to still? Do you want to let him be the one that brings miracles to your life? All you've got to say is, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I need you. You change everything in my life. Is that your need today? If it is, stand to your feet, wherever you are. Close your eyes and reach your spirit up to God where God has promised that he would be here and I believe that he is. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me because I want to be found by you. For unto you I send my son, unto us he has given us hope, a future, and the fulfillment of his promise. If you need Jesus today for whatever it is, I don't know what you're going through, but if you need Jesus today, he is here. You just got to call it out. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. There is no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. But at the name of Jesus, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Unto us, a Savior is born and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.